We are in chapter 20. We are moving right along. And uh, what we're going to do here is, this is an interesting chapter, a question when you read all of Breshit, when you read all of Genesis is, why is this chapter even here? How does it fit in to the whole story? It seems to be like an isolated incident, like an isolated uh, uh, event. Uh, and it's kind of confusing because Abraham is supposed to be the hero uh, and the king of a pagan nation should be the enemy. Something's wrong here, right? So when you read this chapter, it's a little uncomfortable uh, when we read it. Uh, and so we're going to uh, try to understand how it fits in the big picture and then understand what's going on in the text itself. Okay, so we're just going to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. Uh, and here we go. Chapter 20 of Breshit. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward, now this is where, you know, Mamre, where he had been, right, when he had the three visitors, and then he comes and he looks over and he sees the, uh, the end of Sodom and Gomorrah, so that's where he was, now he's moving. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, and settled between Kadesh and Shur, then he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, Avimelech, uh, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Avimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. Is it a dream or is it a nightmare? I don't know. Okay. Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Avimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will thou slay a nation, even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So that's all a dream, okay, up until now, except for the first two verses. Verses 3 to 8 is a dream. Okay, so he wakes up now. So Avimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them these, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Then Avimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Avimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. 
And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Avimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And Avimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you. And before all men you are cleared. And Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Avimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Avimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, so when you read the whole book of Breshit, for the storyline, the big picture storyline, this chapter is, is not necessary. <clears throat> we would still have <clears throat> Isaac and Ishmael and the birth of Isaac, and the story would continue. So... This must be here for some uh, reason, and, uh, and, and so the question is, what is the reason? Now, obviously, if you are a Bible reader, you know that this, this sounds kind of familiar, right? That right after God made his promise to Abraham, Abraham goes, because of a famine in the land, we read at the end of chapter 12, that uh, he goes down to Egypt, and, uh, the, but we have a much longer story of, of Abraham talking to Pharaoh and then what Pharaoh does and, and so on and so forth. Here, it's just uh, very truncated, very, it's like a little note, a little notation. Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Avimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, right? But it's, you know, it's very similar. And then Isaac is going to have the, uh, a very similar experience as well. So some people have felt that, well, it must be the same story told three different ways, three different times. But there's a lot of differences. We won't take the time to mention those differences. But what's interesting about chapter 20 is that there's a lot of similarities between it and the previous chapter, chapter 19 and 20. This is very interesting, okay? So it's not so much that there's so many similarities between chapter 12 and chapter 20. The real similarities are between chapter 19 and 20. Uh, for example, you have here uh, vulnerable females. Lot is willing to uh, give over his daughters to appease the men of Sodom. Abraham is willing to give over his wife to the king of a nation that was part of the Philistine lands, okay? Uh, in both cases, it's for the protection of the, of the uh, men, the, uh, the visitors with Lot and Abraham in, in his story. Both include a potential judgment when the question is asked uh, whether God would judge innocent people, right? Both include foreigners, Lot in Sodom, Abraham in Gerar. Both accentuate, interestingly enough, the intercessory prayer of Abraham, okay? Uh, and both take place outside of the promised land. And there's even, there's even more. 
So it is very interesting, this uh, connection, and we'll see what it, what it might mean to us in the big picture. All right. So first of all, I, this issue of, of uh, telling uh, the king of a foreign land, this is my sister. There's all kinds of theories uh, about it. There's, there are some that say, well, uh, uh, saying uh, you're my sister is a euphemism for being married. Clearly in this chapter, that is not the case. I mean, it's cl clear, uh, as clear as day in, in this text, that's not the case. Uh, but what we have, you know, 5,000 years ago, people lived a lot different than they do today. Abraham and Sarah and Lot uh, and Isaac and Jacob and their children, all 12 tribes, were part of a culture that we have a very difficult time relating to. So, you know, you can't just overlay the 21st century over it with the way we live and assume it's just like it's all the same. What we do see here is, and so therefore remember that all these Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all those associated peoples did not drop out of heaven. It's not like uh, God materialized them uh, uh, and there they were. They lived in a different world with a different culture. And what we learn from passages like this is about how difficult it is to be able to live an alternative way. It doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come natural. It's very interesting because when we read about Abraham in chapter 12, all we know about Abraham at that point is, is that God spoke to him, told him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, which he does, uh, go, go to the land that God says, and you know, and God will make him a great nation, and he'll be a blessing uh, to many peoples. I will bless those that bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the nations of the earth, or the peoples of the earth, shall be blessed. Right? That's all Abraham knows. And we know that he becomes, uh, he's not quite sure about how this is going to work out. It's quite clear in chapter, you know, in chapter 15, especially in uh, other places as well, with the, with, uh, the birth of Ishmael and, 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 uh, and all of that. Uh, and so what we see here is that while Abraham is a great man, I mean, uh, in chapter 18, uh, he is at a great height, and he'll be again in chapter 22. But we see Abraham was a human being uh, and struggles with the culture in which he lives. Uh, and, uh, and so in his world at that time, this was not something that would be unheard of. And so while it may just seem very foreign to us, it wasn't that foreign 5,000 years ago in that world and in that, uh, in that uh, culture. All right? That doesn't mean that Abraham should have done this. No. Uh, and when you read the whole chapter, it's clear that what, we're, what we get out of even the way it's written is that Avi Melech is innocent and full of integrity, and, and, and Abraham is once again shoving his wife under the bus, right? And then tries to justify it and rationalize it, uh, you know, and all the things that we tend to do, rather than simply say to the king, you know, king, you're right, I'm guilty. But no, he doesn't do that. He says, no, 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 wait a minute, she really is my sister, and... Uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and sometimes even uh, we, in our desire 
to, uh, to exonerate Abraham at all costs. Uh, we'll say, well, see, uh, and we'll, we'll learn something about that in, in a moment. But, you know, when you read the text, you have to let it take you where it goes, uh, even if we don't like exactly where it goes all the time. So that's very important here. So the first thing that we see is Abraham is a human being very much like ourselves, uh, who has great moments of trust and faith, but also uh, falls to the temptation of yielding to the culture in which he lives. And, uh, you know, that's what makes these kinds of texts so realistic. Because, I, you know, in other cultures of, of ancient texts, the heroes are perfect. The heroes never, uh, there's never a chink in the armor. But the biblical heroes, uh, we see their strong points and their weak points. You know, think of King David. Uh, uh, needless to say, he had great strong points and he had weak points. And remember, the Messiah is called the son of David. You know, wow, that's, uh, you know, David's legacy is terrific. Uh, and he's even called a, a man who had, you know, had a heart for God after God's own heart, right? And, uh, and so it's very important that we, uh, that we understand that and, and hopefully uh, uh, are encouraged to know that God, he didn't give up on Abraham and God doesn't give up on you or I as, uh, as well, okay? All right. All right, so as, you, as we read this, uh, we see that God gives Avimelech, the king of Gerar, in the land of the Philistines, a dream. God does not re reserve dreams or communication only for the children of Israel uh, or only for Messiah followers. Isn't that interesting? Here, God has an extensive conversation in this dream with Avimelech, the king of Gerar, a pagan nation. All right? So that in and of itself is, uh, is uh, a very uh, uh, fascinating. In fact, when you read this whole chapter, Avimelech is the star of the show of this chapter. It's really about him. Very unusual, unlike most of the other parts of uh, Breshit. Most unlike the rest of the, of, of the, of the book. And we'll understand why, why, is this, why is this happening. All right, so God gives an outsider. We'll just call him an outsider. He's not related to Abraham, okay? He uh, gives him a dream. But, you know, in, uh, if we read Genesis carefully, God gives a number of people dreams that you wouldn't expect, right? Laban, the butler, the baker, there is no candlestick maker, and Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? So God relates to foreigners. God relates to pagans. And then, you know, later on, there's a real famous one in the book of Numbers. Who's that? Balaam, <laughs> you know, a foreign prophet who desires to curse, but he cannot, and he has his interaction with God. God is not limited like we usually think, you know? That's why, uh, may I suggest, it's important for us to intercede for like world leaders, real like evil ones. God, is his hands are not tied behind his back when it comes to uh, evil people in this world. 
It's very, very important. It's not only that, well, God works, like the whole world does its own thing, but, uh, but God, the God of Israel, uh, you know, works among his people. He works among everybody. That's called providence. Providence. The invisible hand of God. We don't always understand why God allows everything he allows. Some of it is, uh, is the sinfulness of the world being allowed to play out, you know? But when it comes to specific situations, we don't know. But what we do see illustrated here uh, is that God can work in the hearts of world leaders, pagan world leaders. You know, there's a real famous one, by the way, uh, 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 that you may, uh, you may know about, but the verse is very interesting. So you know who King Josiah is? right? Uh, you know, God told him when it was time to retire, he said, he said, basically, live out the rest of your days, enjoy your life the rest of, of your days. Well, Josiah uh, didn't listen, and uh, he hears that there's something going up there in the, um, uh, you know, uh, up north in the, uh, um, the, um, uh, I, uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, as it's, as it's called. The Jezreel Valley. I know if, see, if I keep talking, I know that eventually it'll come out. In the Jezreel Valley. Uh, and uh, there's a war going on. And uh, the Pharaoh from Egypt uh, is fighting uh, Nebuchad, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. I believe it's Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and so uh, he goes up to fight. But God told him not to do it anymore. Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 35, I, we read this amazing verse. Okay, so, however, Josiah would not turn away, well, I should say verse 21, but Necho, Necho is the Pharaoh, but Necho sent messengers to uh, Josiah, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house of in which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God. This is the Pharaoh saying this. Who is with me, that he may not destroy you. However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen, this is the nor did he listen to the words from Necho, of Necho, from the mouth of God but came to make war on the plains of Megiddo. So what happens to Josiah? It's the end of Josiah, right? God can speak through a donkey. God can speak through a false prophet. Uh, that would be uh, Balaam. God uh, can speak uh, and interact with foreign uh, dignitaries and leaders. God can speak through your employer your co-workers, others as well, sometimes, right? That's why it's so important to be close to the Lord, to be able to discern uh, what's going on, okay? All right, all right. So, uh, very interesting here now. So God tells him he's a dead man, all right? He's a dead man. Uh, so it tells us that the king of Gerar is held to the same standard as Abraham. And the Israelites held to the same standard of, of, uh, adult, of taking uh, uh, someone's uh, wife, right? 
And isn't it interesting that in the second chapter of Romans, we read basically the very same thing. There is no partiality with God. That uh, uh, pagans and Jews all sin by not living according to God's way. Uh, and, uh, and so that is uh, true, uh, uh, as we read in the Brit Chadashah, and we see it here. That uh, it's interesting, God says, I have kept you from sinning against me. See? I, so we see that it's not only the Israelites who can sin against God, but even the king of uh, Gerar, Avimelech. Okay? All right. So I, another thing that we see here is, uh, first of all, when you read in verse uh, 4. Now, Avimelech had not come near her, he didn't have relations with her, and said, Lord, will thou slay a nation even though blameless? This is the very same thing that uh, Abraham asked in chapter 18. Will, you, uh, you know, will not the God of all the earth do justly? Will you slay a nation even if we're innocent? You know. So again, it becomes the same question. Uh, and so we are learning here again uh, about the nature of God and the justice of God uh, in different uh, venues and different situations. Coming out of the mouth of Abraham and coming out of the mouth of the king of Gerar, right? Now, uh, he explains, right, uh, uh, to God, look, this is what he told me. And then he says, you know, I I'm, I'm being honest with you. In, and this is all in this dream that he has, right? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And amazingly, God says, I agree with you, Avimelech. I agree with you. So you can't read into Avimelech here and say, oh, he was like trying to pull a fast one over the God of Israel. No, God says, no, I agree with you. You do have integrity uh, in your heart. Uh, and then he says, I have kept you from sinning against me. Talk about the grace and the mercy of God. God keeps Avimelech from sinning uh, against him. Now, we'll learn in a second, he had another, God, the God of Israel had another motive uh, here as well. But uh, he keeps him from sinning. God shows his grace to Avimelech. Okay? So then he tells him what to do. He says, now, here's what you have to do. You have to restore him to his, to his, uh, restore her to her husband, all right? Uh, and if you don't do it, you're going to, you know, you're all going to die, basically. And so now Avimelech has this, uh, you know, God uh, tells him, be obedient to me and you will live. All right. So now Avimelech wakes up. Now it's the morning. Wow, what a dream. You know, and he immediately acts. He doesn't keep it to himself. He tells uh, his people, you know, uh, the people around him, right? And uh, they believe him and they're frightened. Okay, they're frightened. Then Avimelech confronts Abraham. And this is a great, you know, it's very, most of this chapter is God talking to Avimelech and then Avimelech talking to Abraham. In the majority of the chapter. Okay? So now he confronts Abraham 
And he says, what have I done to you? Why are you doing this to us? This is wrong. And when he, he says, you have done to me things that ought not to be done. Right? Now, uh, he says, what have, why, what have you encountered that made you act this way? Right? Okay. So now Abraham says, I thought that there's no fear of God in this place and that you were going to kill me. So Abraham, for rightly or wrongly, judges this king and the people. And so therefore, he has a plan in order to be able to live. And it's clear that it's faulty reasoning on Abraham's part because clearly God has already said, I have kept you, Avimelech, from having relations with Sarah. You know, So it wasn't a case of... Um, well, she'll be, uh, you know, she'll be a servant girl. Uh, or it's quite clear that Abraham has, has compromised the covenant and that he has endangered the promise of God by his actions in the way he has understood Avimelech. Okay? Uh, and so he goes, he, ex, he goes on to explain this. Now, when he says, besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she has become my wife. You know, that's fascinating because we don't read that anywhere else. We only read it here, right here, okay? So, I, I, it's interesting. Let's assume that's the truth, okay? When you read uh, Leviticus chapter 18 very carefully you learn that that is a sin, okay, to marry your half-sister. So Abraham is just like not doing well in this chapter, okay? Uh, and so he's, he's not justifying himself here. He's digging deeper. And when you, have to, when you keep digging, what do we say? Stop digging, right? Uh, and uh, and, and he's, he's rationalizing or justifying uh, his actions. When God clearly, in his interaction with Avimelech, tells us that this was a wrong thing, uh, to, and I've kept you from sinning. Okay? All right. Now, then he says, and very interestingly in verse 13, and it came about when God caused me to wander from... It's always God's fault. Right? God caused me to wander... From my father's house. Uh, and I said to her, This is the plan, right? This is what, whenever we encounter somebody, you're going to say, You're my sister, all right? You know, he didn't tell Pharaoh this in chapter 12, which is kind of interesting. All right. Okay, so he explains himself. Avimelech doesn't respond. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, But you're killing us, right? No. So what does he do? He listens to what Abraham says, and then he restores his wife with lot and lots of animals and money, and he blesses, he blesses Abraham, right? He blesses Abraham. Uh, and, uh, and, and then we see uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the story, Abraham. I praise to God. And God heals Abimelech, Avimelech, and his wife, 
and they have children. And so what we learn in verses 17 and 18 is that there was a judgment. That How did God, well, the judgment, I guess it looks like a judgment, but it was actually sparing them. How is it that God kept Avimelech from uh, sinning? Or, or what did he do to uh, all the people? Uh, he closed their wombs, right? Uh, and Abraham prays, he intercedes uh, to God. He's called a prophet in this, uh, you know, in this text. It's very interesting. That's what God tells Avimelech. So Abraham is this, is it, it's a very, it's like an enigma. Abraham is doing wrong throughout this, uh, and, and it's quite clear, uh, but uh, God does not do away with him. He is functioning as a prophet, and it's the first time that the word prophet, Navi, is used uh, in the Bible in uh, describing Abraham in this way. And so Abraham prays for Avimelech, and we see God opens up uh, uh, their, um, God opens up their wombs. All right. So uh, what do we learn uh, from this? I, we learn, first of all, that God is going to protect the covenant, that there's nothing that anybody in particular can do to derail the plan of God, okay? There's nothing that anybody can do to derail the plan of God. You know, remember uh, back in the... Uh, oh, I don't remember when it was now, 80s, 90s, when you had one after the other of these famous preachers go down. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, and others as well. Oh, no, what is this going to mean? Is this the end? You know what? God is bigger than all those guys. And he's bigger than you, and he's bigger than me. And we can royally mess up. We can even destroy our testimony. It may affect us, but it's not going to affect the plan of God. Even on a bigger scale, there is nothing that any nation on earth can do to derail the plan of God. No evil in this world. And there's been plenty of it. Think about between the first century and the 21st century, all of the evil that has been in the world. And none of it has derailed the plan of God. That's why it's important to be on his side, you know. Uh, God's batting a thousand. You know, a baseball player goes to the Hall of Fame if he, hits, if, if he does, you know, one out of three, you know. If he's good one, one time out of three. God uh, never misses. God's batting a thousand, right? Uh, and so nothing will derail his plan. And that is a key truth in the book of Genesis. Because everybody messes up. Abraham messes up. Isaac messes up. Jacob uh, messes up. Noah messes up. Everybody messes up. But God's plan is not derailed. It has ramifications. Sinning against God has ramifications on people. can make for a hard life. But God doesn't give up on people that belong to him, nor will his plan be derailed. When Yeshua rose from the dead, that we read in the Brit Chadashah is the, that is the stamp, that it is a sure thing, that for sure uh, God's plan is not derailed. Uh, and, uh, and we, but we see it all the way through. 
So that is a very important lesson. And you can rest in that because we might be shaking our wrists and say, well, oh no, what's going to happen in this world? The world's all messed up. And you, know, I, and you can think of a, of a bunch of different... Is the world going to be destroyed by nuclear uh, weapons uh, from North Korea? What's going to happen to Israel and Iran and, and this and that? And, and in our own country, all this um, stuff, you know, different kinds. Of, none of it is going to derail the plan of God. That is why God calls us primarily to function as his ambassadors in this world. Because when we place our lot simply in uh, politics, that is like, you know what that's like? That's like saying, oh, I need some nutrition. I think I'll have some Skittles. Because Skittles will fill me up, right? So let's be eating the right food. Let's be getting the right nutrition. And let's be focusing on the right things and using our lives to make a difference in this world simply by walking with God. Because he's the winner. And we're part of what he is doing in this world. Okay? Very important. Now... There's more uh, uh, to learn here. Uh, not only will God preserve uh, his covenant despite the actions of the chosen... Now, despite the actions not only of evil, but even of the chosen people, as, as we've said, right? Okay. Now, uh, another thing that we uh, uh, focus here on and learn, and I think probably the primary reason that this chapter is here, is to give us a wonderful illustration of Abraham of the interaction between the chosen people and the other. Okay? The interaction between the chosen people and the other. I will bless those that bless you. Okay? And the one who curses you, I will curse. As we learned in our blessing mini course, that God shows his favor on humanity mostly through the blessing of the other, the mutual blessing of the chosen and the other. You need an other to be a chosen, right? The chosen cannot exist without the other. And that God's way of showing favor primarily, not the only way, but primarily is through the blessing of the other. And we see in the relationship of Abraham and uh, Avi Melech, that coming from a source you'd never think, God blesses Abraham. And then Abraham prays for Avi Melech. Despite Abraham, despite himself. See? So one of the things we learn here is that Abraham, we might say, may not in this text be worthy in himself of receiving Sarah back and being, and being restored right? But, uh, but he is. And then he prays for Avimelech. And God brings restoration to the land of Gerar. See? Uh, and so what does that say to us? That uh, we have to recognize that whether we're talking about individually, communally, nationally, whatever it may be, God calls us to, in our interactions, to be a blessing to show favor to the other. That is, we learn it all the way through here. Uh, and in a way, it's a tiny, tiny little microcosm 
of the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the children of Israel, you know, uh, of uh, being in a foreign land, precarious situations develop, there's blessing uh, and, um, you know, uh, uh, going both directions. We see a little bit later with Egypt, right? We see plenty of, uh, I will curse the one who curses you, but also here we see, I will bless the one who blesses you. And that is God's ultimate desire and, uh, and plan. And very interesting, so you have, uh, we'll, we'll, you'll see it in the next chapter, Abraham dwells in Gerar. He, li- he doesn't go away, he lives there, right? And we're not quite sure what the boundaries are of Gerar, because, well, there's certain reasons for that, that's beyond our, our message here. We're not quite sure if there's like this overlap of Canaan and Gerar or, or what. But it's quite clear at the end of chapter 21 that, that Abraham lives in Gerar for a really long time. Uh, and Avimelech, he's not done with Avimelech. Uh, and, um, but also you see the birth of Isaac, that you see God preserved the covenant. So now Isaac can be born. God will not forsake his promise. So remember that when uh, you find yourself in a foreign land and difficult situations and maybe you've made some decisions and maybe haven't been the best so now you're like caught between a rock and a, and a, and a hard place in terms of what do I do well, you know, in, in my decision making. Uh, I, I, it would have been better if I had never come here, right? But here I am and this is the situation uh, that I'm in. Remember that God will not forsake you. You are part of his plan. He will not forsake you. Like he says to the congregation at Philippi, he who began this good work in you will complete it in the day of Messiah Yeshua. He never gives up. He doesn't give up on Abraham. He doesn't give up on on you. And um, may we be encouraged uh, to know that. All right, Uh, let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you, God, that we see so much in this uh, you know, in this chapter. Thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign of the universe, even when people don't know who you are and don't recognize you. Uh, Lord, we thank you, God, that despite Abraham's actions here, you don't condemn him anywhere in the chapter, but it's obvious from the text that Abraham made some poor choices. Yet you continue to use him, that he's a prophet, and he prays for Avimelech, and healing comes to the land of Gerar. Lord, uh, uh, thank you, God, that you have called us to interact with the other. Lord, and I pray, God, that we would be a blessing. Uh, We would show favor to all who we come into contact with, uh, and so that the world will see your favor upon, upon peoples of this world, and that we represent you not only in our righteousness, but in our displaying favor and mercy even where it may not be disturbed, uh, may not be deserved, Lord. And uh, God, we thank you for Avimelech in this passage, Lord, who serves as a wonderful illustration of the other, Lord. And we thank you, God, the, for Abraham, in that even, even through all of this, Lord, uh, he remains faithful to you. And thank you for the restoration in this situation that you brought to his life, Lord. And thank you, God, that it serves as such a comfort 
to us as we struggle in the culture in which we live in this world. Lord, thank you, God, for the Ruach. Thank you, Lord, that in the death and resurrection of Messiah, you have given us the first fruits of the future. You have given us the indwelling Ruach to be empowered. But even so, Lord, we still are men and women of flesh and still have that struggle. Lord, thank you, God, uh, for your perseverance with us. And we do look forward to that day, Lord, when there will be favor displayed everywhere. Egypt, Assyria, Israel, and all the nations of the earth. And we pray in Yeshua's name.